folks. We have been studying, as you know, foundations of the faith, the topic specifically under consideration, the future. And in prior weeks, uh, we created this image of mountains so as to confess. We're able, I think, only to clearly identify uh, the prominent peaks in God's prophetic mountain range. We can differ over these and surely differ over some of the gaps and details with regard to these prominent peaks. Uh, But I made the statement that these seem to be most easily identifiable as we studied the scriptures. And so we began first with the rapture of the church, which we mentioned will be immediately uh, followed by the judgment seat of Christ. This concerns Christians only. And then we introduced this horrific personality a few weeks ago uh, known as the Antichrist. And tonight, and Lord willing, next week, uh, uh, let me make a few more comments about him and then we'll move on to the next prominent peak in God's prophetic mountain range. So let me open with this question, since we've spent already a good deal of time on the Antichrist. The question is this, who is he? Uh, Books have been written, sermons have been preached, guesses have been made. All manner of interesting people have been advanced as the most likely candidate for the role of Antichrist. My personal opinion is that all those efforts are in vain and that nobody yet can with precision identify who the Antichrist is because in order for the Antichrist to be clearly and accurately identified, he first needs to be revealed. Uh, These are not my words. They are the words of the Apostle Paul himself in the text we have been looking at off and on. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Again, if I could call your attention to verse 3, let no one it says, in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Uh, He is the son of destruction. And so based on this verse, I uh, glean from it that it doesn't make a lot of sense now to try to identify uh, this man of lawlessness, this Antichrist, because he has not yet been revealed. And he will be revealed, according to Paul, during a period of future, not present, future time, known as the day of the Lord. And I mentioned to you that the day of the Lord comes after, is preceded by uh, the rapture. I mentioned that no key prophetic event needs to happen before uh, the Lord comes and decides to catch us up in the air so as to be with him forever. And that that could happen, his return, just as a thief in the night, and we could be raptured so as to be with him. But 
preceding the day of the Lord are two key events, one of which is the apostasy, and the other is the revealing of the man of lawlessness or the Antichrist. So, since the rapture involves Christians, and since the rapture precedes the day of the Lord, if you are a Christian, you will be raptured before the Antichrist is revealed. And therefore, if you get to the point where you could identify him with precision, you in a heap of trouble, because you've been left behind, don't you see? So I'm just thrilled to death that I don't know who he is. I don't want to be here to know who he is. And the good news for believers is that we will not experience the horrors of the rule and reign of the Antichrist because the rapture precedes the revelation of the Antichrist during the period of future time known as the day of the Lord and characterized by a seven-year period of horrible times called the Great Tribulation. So, since we will not be here to see him revealed, that is why the scriptures nowhere tell us to watch for nor to look for the Antichrist. Instead, we are told to look for the coming of Jesus Christ. So it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, Wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. In case you don't know, that is Jesus, who rescues us, do you see it? From the wrath to come. Some call this the pre tribulational rapture of the church. That means we're getting out before this happens. I believe that is the clearest and strongest position of the timing of the rapture in the Bible based on passages like the one before you who rescues us from the wrath to come. So, if we cannot identify the Antichrist until he is revealed, when and how will the Antichrist be revealed? Let me refer you once again to the passage with which we opened this series, uh, it seems like a million years ago. It was Gabriel's prophecy to Daniel as recorded in Daniel chapter 9, just this verse 27. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Well, the he in Gabriel's prophecy through Daniel, the he is the Antichrist who is to come. The firm covenant is a peace treaty for the Middle East. The many are Jewish people residing in Israel as well as 
their surrounding Arab neighbors. One week, as we mentioned a long time ago, is actually a week of years or a seven-year period of time. This is the final or 70th week of Gabriel's prophecy to Daniel. But it says, in the middle of the week, that means, in other words, after three and a half years, this Antichrist will violate his covenant of peace made with the nations in the Middle East. In it, somehow, he managed to persuade Israel and her neighbors that he was the peacemaker everyone longs to find. But in the three and a half year point of the great tribulation, he will break his covenant of peace. Under the covenant of peace, somehow Israel is permitted to reconstruct her temple. Good night, don't ask me how this comes about, because on the present site on which the temple is to stand is the third holiest site in Islam, this beautiful golden-domed piece of architecture. And so this Antichrist will be greatly empowered and trusted in order to bring about this condition. The temple is reconstructed during this time, and in it there will be the continuation of temple worship and sacrifices as of old. But according to Gabriel's prophecy through Daniel, in the middle of the week, mid-tribulation, in the middle of the week, he, the Antichrist, will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. He will say to the Jews whom he has duped, that's it, your worship of Yahweh has come to an end, and he will usher in, according to the prophecy of Gabriel, great abominations in the temple. Now, folks... In my opinion, it is this covenant breaking that will reveal the true identity and character of this so-called man of peace. He will not even be recognized for who he is at the beginning of this final seven-year period. He will purport to be a peacemaker and gullible people hungry for peace at all costs will buy into it, but his true colors will be revealed after three and a half years at the midpoint of this seven-year period of tribulation. And then he will prove himself to be one who's not a peacemaker. He's the man of lawlessness, as Paul called him. He's the son of destruction. So I don't plan to be there. And if you're a Christian, I don't believe you will either. So, though this Antichrist will not be revealed clearly for who he is until the midpoint of the tribulation, I have to tell you, he undoubtedly will be in existence uh, many years before the great tribulation. And so, if that's not too far ahead, 
He's in the world already today. He just will not be clearly revealed for who he is until after we're gone, after the rapture. So God, through Gabriel, told Daniel, and through Daniel, us all about the Antichrist. And then God, through John, the Apostle John, told us even more about Antichrist in Revelation chapter 13. Here is verse 1. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. The dragon is Satan. And we will find out Satan makes use of two powerful human agents, one of whom is introduced to us here in verse 1. He is referred to as a beast, but he is not literally a beast. He is a beastly human. And he comes up, the text says, out of the sea. And in the ancient world, the sea always represented evil and the unknown. And he has ten horns on which are diadems or crowns. These are symbols of authority, political authority. Folks, they represent a, a confederation of nations, countries organized in direct opposition to Almighty God. Some say a kind of a revived ancient Holy Roman Empire. Some say a kind of United States of Europe. I don't know, but it surely isn't far-fetched to think of it that way. But whatever is the specific makeup of this godless confederation of countries, we know they are anti-God because on his heads, it says, were blasphemous names. Now, verse 2 of chapter 13, uh, John tells us, and the beast which I saw was like, not literally, like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon, Satan, gave him his power and his throne and great authority. He, the beast, uh, the Antichrist is empowered by Satan. He is the visible representation of Satan. He is the incarnation, if you will, of Satan. And where do you think Satan got the idea? He is Satan's son. Where do you think he got the... Satan copies the truth. And if God the Father has a son to represent him, if God the Father has an incarnate son through whom his nature and character and will is revealed through the world, Satan, who says, I will be like the Most High God, must have his incarnation as well. And so you see this God 
less parody of the incarnation of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. This Antichrist is the son of Satan. Now, verse 3, chapter 13, Revelation. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. I don't know the specifics. Some say what this means is that one of the nations in this satanic anti-God confederation has passed largely out of prominence historically, but is revived under the power of Antichrist. And so the resurrection here is of a country, some say, maybe. Others say, no, this is a, an appearance of a recovery from a fatal wound uh, by Antichrist himself, and it is of such magnitude that the whole earth is amazed by it and thus follows after the beast who somehow has appeared to rise from the dead. And I just wonder, whichever it is, where'd that idea come from? Well, I'm telling you, the incarnation is a reality, and Satan has a parody of it. And the resurrection is a reality, and Satan has a parody of that as well. Don't you see, the Antichrist is Satan's parody of God's Christ. So, with reference to this Antichrist, the Apostle Paul said... Back in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, that is, speaking of the Antichrist, the one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders. And where did they come from? Satan parodies the incarnation and he parodies the resurrection and he parodies the very legitimate signs and wonders in miraculous works of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, empowered by Satan, his son, the Antichrist, will perform such powerful miracles that it will be evident to all that he, in fact, has supernatural power. And people in that day will stand in awe of him. And so, folks, can you... Glean from this that the mere manifestation of signs and wonders does not prove that the one doing it is sent by God. Please be careful about those claiming and possibly even doing so-called signs and wonders. Don't conclude automatically that they're representing the God of the Bible. You will be deceived if you don't exercise more discernment. Consider the sum total of the message of those so-called miracle workers today. So this one, in fact, is not sent by God. He's sent by Satan with all power and signs and false wonders. And this Antichrist, empowered by Satan, will exemplify Satan's principal methodology. And I believe this is Satan's methodology. Counterfeit the real thing.
You see, he is not a creator. Satan is a creature. He is a created being, and therefore he does not have the capacity to create reality. He cannot speak things into existence as we're told Almighty God did as you read the Genesis account. So then what Satan does since he cannot create is to counterfeit the authentic works of the one and only creator. And so it goes on to say in Revelation 13, verse 4, they worship the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast? And who is able to wage war with him? And so you see, for a spell, Satan gets what he wants, worship. He wants to be worshipped. So in essence, the religion of the future, and there will be plenty of religion during the tribulation period, uh, the religion of the future great tribulation will in fact be a religion of Satan worship. And God will allow Satan through his spokesman, the Antichrist, to have his way in this regard. For a time, we read about it in verse 5. There was given to him a mouth, speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months were given to him. 42 months, three and a half years. The second half of the period of time known as the seven-year tribulation Period. Some use the technical expression, the great tribulation, for the second half of the seven years of tribulation. And then it says in verse 6, And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. As a sidelight. Do you find it interesting here that the tabernacle of God is defined in terms of its inhabitants? See, to blaspheme his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. The church is not bricks and mortar. It's people. We are the church. And then verse 7, it was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. There surely have been anti-Christian figures throughout history. Some say this is a reference to Antiochus Epiphanes. Some may say this was Adolf Hitler or one like it and surely the devastating deeds done by these evil personages was great, but not this great. Do you notice the global extent of the authority given the Antichrist? He's given authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation. So there are those who say this has already been fulfilled. I don't think we've seen anything quite on this scale yet. 
This is global control. Nothing to this extent has yet happened. You can see the worldwide extent of Antichrist's power in verse 7. And so the dream of world conquest, which others have had but fallen short of, this dream of world conquest is finally realized by the world's last earthly evil ruler, the Antichrist. Finally, the long sought after one world government will be here. And verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. All who dwell on the earth is a specific reference to unsaved people, earth dwellers, those whose citizenship is not in heaven. All unsaved at this time will worship the Antichrist. All those who have heard the good news and rejected the same will in fact worship the Antichrist. And so there will be in that day not only one world government, but folks, there will be one world religion as well. And Jesus will be excluded from worship in the religion of the tribulation period. But in contrast to those who willingly reject the Lord Jesus and give worship to the Antichrist, are those whose names, according to the text, have been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. That, by contrast, is a reference to the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, not those who follow the Antichrist. And these who are saved have been seen to be saved by the omniscient Savior, Almighty God, from the foundation of the world. All, even here, who are saved this evening have been seen to be saved by Almighty God from before time. I don't know all the specifics of what the future holds, and neither do you. But I know if you are redeemed now, the Savior's eyes, the Redeemer's mind, has been set on you from before the foundation of the time. He saw you coming to him. And be, because he saw you coming one day to be his son or daughter, not an earth dweller, but one who's heavenly minded and on the way to an eternity with the real Christ. Because he saw that transpiring one day, when one day you heard of him, you believed on him, you confessed him as your personal savior. Because he saw it from the beginning of time, and of course he did, time is no obstacle for him, because he saw that he's the one 
who's protected you until the point of your salvation. He's the one who's orchestrated your life events so as to ready you for it. He's the one who's softened you up. He's the one who's implanted in your life experience seeds of salvation so that they've come to fruition and borne fruit at the time of the salvation which you have accepted through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if this is true of your past and present, then I have to tell you we can be assured that his saving hold on us will endure throughout eternity. So, though I see the horrors of future days to come, don't get worried about it because if you're in the Lord's hands and the Lord is in the Father's hand, he will lose none of those who are his. And so... The Lord Jesus utters these words in John chapter 6, verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. That's assurance right there. Don't panic. Don't get nervous. If you are the sons, you are the sons now and forevermore. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. And oh, what a, it's just a foretaste of glory divine. I don't mind telling you I'm an heir of salvation, not tribulation, purchase of God, because I've been born of his spirit, washed not by my good deeds and good intentions, washed in his blood. And I tell you, therefore, this is my story. But what's your story? Listen to me. You have a story. And you either got your story from the Christ or you're going to get your story from the Antichrist. Make no mistake about it. Those are the choices. Who will you serve? The Christ or the Antichrist? I want to talk.